Chapter Six of Just David. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. Just David by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Six. Nuisances necessary and otherwise. For some time after dinner that first day, David watched Mrs. Holly in silence while she cleared the table and began to wash the dishes. Do you want me to help? he asked at last, a little wistfully. Mrs. Holly, with a dubious glance at the boy's brown little hand, shook her head. No, I don't. No, thank you, she amended her answer. For another sixty seconds, David was silent. Then, still more wistfully, he asked, are all these things you've been doing all day useful labor? Mrs. Holly lifted dripping hands from the dishpan and held them suspended for an amazed instant. Are they? Why, of course they are. What a silly question. What put that idea into your head, child? Mr. Holly, and you see it's so different from what father used to call them. Different? Yes, he said they were a necessary nuisance dishes and getting meals and clearing up and he didn't do half as many of them as you do either nuisance indeed mrs holly resumed her dishwashing with some asperity well i should think that might have been just about like him yes it was he was always that way nodded david pleasantly then after a moment he queried but aren't you going to walk at all today to walk where why through the woods and fields, anywhere. Walking in the woods? Now? Just walking? Land's sake, boy, I've got something else to do. Oh, that's too bad, isn't it? David's face expressed sympathetic regret. And it's such a nice day. Maybe it'll rain by tomorrow. Maybe it will, retorted Mrs. Holly, with a slightly uplifted eyebrows and an expressive glance. But whether it does or doesn't won't make any difference in my going to walk, I guess. Oh, won't it? beamed David, his face changing. I'm so glad. I don't mind the rain, either. Father and I used to go in the rain lots of times. Only, of course, we couldn't take our violins then. So we used to like the pleasant days better. But there are some things you find on rainy days that you couldn't find any other time, aren't there? the dance of the drops on the leaves, and the rush of the rain when the wind gets behind it. Don't you love to feel it out in the open spaces, where the wind just gets a good chance to push? Mrs. Holly stared. Then she shivered and threw up her hands with a gesture of hopeless abandonment. Land's sake, boy, she ejaculated feebly as she turned back to her work. From dishes to sweeping, and from sweeping to dusting, hurried Mrs. Holly, going at last into the somber parlor, always carefully guarded from sun and air. Watching her mutely, David trailed behind, his eyes staring a little as they fell upon the multitude of objects that parlor contained. The haircloth chairs, the long sofa, the marble-top table, the curtains, cushions, spreads and throws, the innumerable mats and tidies, the hair wreath, the wax flowers under their glass dome, the dried grasses, the marvelous bouquets of scarlet, green, and purple everlastings, 
the stones and shells and many-sized many-shaped vases arranged as if in line of battle along the corner shelves y yes you may come in called mrs holly glancing back at the hesitating boy in the doorway but you mustn't touch anything i'm going to dust but i haven't seen this room before ruminated david well no dane mrs holly with just a touch of superiority we don't use this room common little boy nor the bedroom there either this is the company room for ministers and funerals and she stopped hastily with a quick look at david but the boy did not seem to have heard and doesn't anybody live here in this house but just you and mr holly and mr perry larson he asked still looking wonderingly about him no not now mrs holly drew in her breath with a little catch and glanced at the framed portrait of a little boy on the wall but you've got such a lot of rooms and and things remarked david why daddy and i only had two rooms and not hardly any things it was so different you know in my home i should say it might have been mrs holly began to dust hurriedly but carefully her voice still carried its hint of superiority oh yes smiled david but you say you don't use this room much so that helps helps in her stupefaction mrs holly stopped her work and stared why yes i mean you've got so many other rooms you can live in those you don't have to live in here have to live in here ejaculated the woman still too uncomprehending to be anything but amazed yes but do you have to keep all these things and clean them and clean them like this every day couldn't you give them to somebody or throw them away throw these things away with a wild sweep of her arms the horrified woman seemed to be trying to encompass in a protective embrace each last endangered treasure of mat and tidy boy are you crazy these things are are valuable they cost money and time and and labor don't you know beautiful things when you see them oh yes i love beautiful things smiled david with unconsciously rude emphasis and up on the mountain i had them always there was the sunrise and the sunset and the moon and the stars and my silver lake and the cloud boats that sailed but mrs holly with a vexed gesture stopped him never mind little boy i might have known brought up as you have been of course you could not appreciate such things as these throw them away indeed and she fell to work again but this time her fingers carried a something in their touch that was almost like the caress a mother might bestow upon an aggrieved child david vaguely disturbed and uncomfortable watched her with troubled eyes then apologetically he explained it was only that i thought if you didn't have to clean so many of these things you could maybe go to walk more today and other days you know you said you didn't have time he reminded her but mrs holly only shook her head and sighed well well never mind little boy i dare say you meant all right you couldn't understand of course and david after another moment's wistful eyeing of the caressing fingers turned about and wandered out onto the side porch a minute later having seated himself on the porch steps he had taken from his pocket two small pieces of folded paper 
and then through tear-dimmed eyes he read once more his father's letter. "'He said I mustn't grieve, for that would grieve him,' murmured the boy after a time, his eyes on the faraway hills. "'And he said if I'd play, my mountains would come to me here, and I'd really be at home up there. He said in my violin were all those things I'm wanting so bad.' With a little choking breath, David tucked the note back into his pocket and reached for his violin. Sometime later, Mrs. Holly, dusting the chairs in the parlor, stopped her work, tiptoed to the door, and listened breathlessly. When she turned back still later to her work, her eyes were wet. "'I wonder why, when he plays, I always get to thinking of John,' she sighed to herself as she picked up her dusting-cloth. After supper that night, Simeon Holly and his wife again sat on the kitchen porch, resting from the labor of the day. Simeon's eyes were closed. His wife's were on the dim outlines of the shed, the barn, the road, or a passing horse and wagon. David, sitting on the steps, was watching the moon climb higher and higher above the treetops. After a time he slipped into the house and came out with his violin. At the first long-drawn note of sweetness, Simeon Holly opened his eyes and sat up, stern-lipped. But his wife laid a timid hand on his arm. "'Don't say anything, please,' she entreated softly. "'Let him play, just for tonight. He's lonesome, poor little fellow.' And Simeon Holly, with a frowning shrug of his shoulders, sat back in his chair. Later it was Mrs. Holly herself who stopped the music by saying, "'Come, David, it's bedtime for little boys. "'I'll go upstairs with you.' "'And she led the way into the house "'and lighted the candle for him. "'Upstairs in the little room over the kitchen, "'David found himself once more alone. "'As before, the little yellow-white nightdress "'lay over the chair back, "'and as before, Mrs. Holly had brushed away a tear "'as she had placed it there. "'As before, too, the big four-postered bed "'loomed tall and formidable in the corner.' but this time the coverlet and sheet were turned back invitingly. Mrs. Holly had been much disturbed to find that David had slept on the floor the night before. Once more, with his back carefully turned toward the impaled bugs and moss on the wall, David undressed himself. Then before blowing out the candle, he went to the window, kneeled down, and looked up at the moon through the trees. David was sorely puzzled. He was beginning to wonder just what was to become of himself. His father had said that out in the world there was a beautiful work for him to do. But what was it? How was he to find it? Or how was he to do it if he did find it? And another thing, where was he to live? Could he stay where he was? It was not home, to be sure. But there was a little room over the kitchen where he might sleep, and there was the kind woman who smiled at him sometimes with the sad, faraway look in her eyes that somehow hurt. He would not like now to leave her with Daddy gone. There were the gold pieces, too, and concerning these David was equally puzzled. What should he do with them? He did not need them. The kind woman was giving him plenty of food, so that he did not have to go to the store and buy, and there was nothing else apparently that he could use them for. They were heavy and disagreeable to carry, yet he did not like to throw them away nor to let anybody know that he had them. He had been called a thief just for one little piece, and what would they say if they knew he had all these others?' 
David remembered now suddenly that his father had said to hide them, to hide them until he needed them. David was relieved at once. Why had he not thought of it before? He knew just the place, too, the little cupboard behind the chimney there in this very room. And with a satisfied sigh, David got to his feet, gathered all the little yellow discs from his pockets, and tucked them well out of sight behind the piles of books on the cupboard shelves. There, too, he hid the watch, but the little miniature of the angel mother he slipped back into one of his pockets. David's second morning at the farmhouse was not unlike the first, except that this time, when Simeon Holly asked him to fill the wood box, David resolutely ignored every enticing bug and butterfly and kept rigorously to the task before him until it was done. He was in the kitchen when, just before dinner, Perry Larson came into the room with a worried frown on his face. "'Miss Holly, would you mind just stepping to the side door? There's a woman and a little boy there, and something ails em. She can't talk English, and I'm blessed if I can make head nor tail out of the lingo she does talk, but maybe you can.' "'Why, Perry, I don't know,' began Mrs. Holly, but she turned at once toward the door. On the porch steps stood a very pretty but frightened-looking young woman, with a boy perhaps ten years old at her side. Upon catching sight of Mrs. Holly, she burst into a torrent of unintelligible words, supplemented by numerous and vehement gestures. Mrs. Holly shrank back and cast appealing eyes toward her husband, who at that moment had come across the yard from the barn. "'Simeon, can you tell what she wants?' At sight of the newcomer on the scene, the strange woman began again with even more volubility. No, said Simeon Holly, after a moment's scowling scrutiny of the gesticulating woman. She's talking French, I think, and she wants something. Gosh, I should say she did, muttered Perry Larson, and whatever tis, she wants it powerful bad. Are you hungry? questioned Mrs. Holly timidly. "'Can't you speak English at all?' demanded Simeon Holly. The woman looked from one to the other with the piteous, pleading eyes of the stranger in the strange land who cannot understand or make others understand. She had turned away with a despairing shake of her head when suddenly she gave a wild cry of joy and wheeled about, her whole face alight. The Hollies and Perry Larson saw then that David had come out onto the porch and was speaking to the woman, and his words were just as unintelligible as the woman's had been. Mrs. Holly and Perry Larson stared. Simeon Holly interrupted David with a sharp, "'Do you then understand this woman, boy?' "'Why, yes, didn't you? She's lost her way, and—' But the woman had hurried forward and was pouring her story into David's ears." At its conclusion, David turned to find the look of stupefaction still on the other's faces. "'Well, what does she want?' asked Simeon Holly crisply. "'She wants to find the way to Francois Lavelle's house. "'He's her husband's brother. "'She came in on the train this morning. "'Her husband stopped off a minute somewhere,' she says, "'and got left behind. "'He could talk English, but she can't. "'She's only been in this country a week. "'She came from France.' "'Gory, won't ye listen ter that now?' cried Perry Larson admiringly. "'Reads her just like a book, don't he? "'There's a French family over in West Hinsdale, 
two of em, I think. What'll you bet taint one of them? Very likely, acceded Simeon Holly. His eyes bent disapprovingly on David's face. It was plain to be seen that Simeon Holly's attention was occupied by David, not the woman. And say, Mr. Holly, resumed Perry Larson a little excitedly, you know I was going over to West Hinsdale in a day or two to see Harlow about them steers. Why can't I go this afternoon and tote her and the kid along? Very well, nodded Simeon Holly curtly, his eyes still on David's face. Perry Larson turned to the woman, and by a flourish of his arms and a jumble of broken English, attempted to make her understand that he was to take her where she undoubtedly wished to go. The woman still looked uncomprehendingly, however, and David promptly came to the rescue, saying a few rapid words that quickly brought a flood of delighted understanding to the woman's face. "'Can't you ask her if she's hungry?' ventured Mrs. Holly then. "'She says, no thank you,' translated David with a smile, when he had received his answer. "'But the boy says he is, if you please.' "'Then tell them to come into the kitchen,' directed Mrs. Holly, hurrying into the house. "'So you're French, are you?' said Simeon Holly to David. "'French?' "'Oh, no, sir,' smiled David proudly. "'I'm an American. Father said I was. He said I was born in this country.' "'But how comes it you can speak French like that?' "'Why, I learned it.' Then divining that his words were still unconvincing, he added, "'Same as I learned German and other things with father, out of books, you know. "'Didn't you learn French when you were a little boy?' Humph vouchsafed Simeon Holly, stalking away without answering the question. Immediately after dinner, Perry Larson drove away with the woman and the little boy. The woman's face was wreathed with smiles, and her last adoring glance was for David, waving his hand to her from the porch steps. In the afternoon, David took his violin and went off toward the hill behind the house for a walk. He had asked Mrs. Holly to accompany him, but she had refused though she was not sweeping or dusting at the time. She was doing nothing more important, apparently, than making holes in a piece of white cloth and sewing them up again with a needle and thread. David had then asked Mr. Holly to go, but his refusal was even more strangely impatient than his wife's had been. "'And why, pray, should I go for a useless walk now, or any time for that matter?' he demanded sharply. David had shrunk back unconsciously, though he still smiled. "'Oh, but it wouldn't be a useless walk, sir. Father said nothing was useless that helped to keep us in tune, you know.' "'In tune?' "'I mean, you looked as Father used to look sometimes when he felt out of tune, and he always said there was nothing like a walk to put him back again. I—I I was feeling a little out of tune myself today, and I thought, by the way you looked, that you were too.' "'so I asked you to go to walk.' Humph. "'Well, I—' "'That will do, boy. "'No impertinence, you understand.' "'And he turned away in very obvious anger. "'David, with a puzzled sorrow in his heart, "'had started alone then on his walk. "'End of chapter 6.'